The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Turn with me in the scriptures to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and we'll, we'll read quite a few verses here to lay the groundwork for what I'm going to say tonight. Matthew chapter 6, let's begin reading at verse number 19. We read here, Lay, up not, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moss and rough, rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And that's a very important verse. That's one that we should examine at all times. We should always be asking ourselves and inquiring ourselves, where does my heart lie? What matters the most to me in this life? Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be also. Verse 22, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in, in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Now let me stop right there and say that's the problem a lot of Christians have in their lives. They're trying to serve two, two masters. They're trying to, they're trying to love the, the Lord, but they won't let go of the world. And so they can't, they can't succeed in either one. Because you can't serve two masters. Jesus told us that. Verse 25, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. What shall ye eat, or what shall ye drink? Nor yet for your body. What ye shall put on is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not. Neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature and why take ye thought for raiment consider the lilies of the field how they grow they toil not neither do they spin and yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these think about it for a moment you ever drive past a field and see the beauty of creation the beautiful flowers in the field and the beautiful trees and uh, the, the grace and the majesty of creation. We're awestruck by that, aren't we? We buy, we go and purchase paintings of landscape. We have windows in our home, but we purchase pictures of landscape because it's so wonderful and it's so amazing and it's so beautiful. And God did it all. And, and uh, Solomon, Jesus said, was not as beautiful, could not array himself as beautiful as God is capable of, of arraying the earth. Okay, verse 29, or, or verse 30. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall not he much more clothe you, 
O ye of little faith. Take therefore no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall, shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, thank you for the, the comfort we find in the words we just read, the knowledge, Lord, of knowing that, that you provide and care for us and you've promised to, to take care of us. And Lord, that does not always mean that we live on the top of the hill of prosperity. We may dwell at the bottom, but we have the confidence to know that you are watching over us at every moment of every day, that you love us, that you care for us, and you provide for us. Help us, Father, to follow your admonition in these words and, and seek first you and your kingdom. Thank you for this night that we have to come together around your word. I pray that you would bless the preaching of your word and that you would use it to strengthen us and as we endeavor to live our lives for you. Thank you for this time now. We ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. God saved me on November 29, 1981. Uh, on Sunday, December 6, 1981, seven days later, I surrendered and committed my life to the service of God through the gospel ministry. I've seen many changes in our Christian circles during these past 33 years. Much as our world has changed and much as our world has changed, has drawn and grown further and further from Christ. Unfortunately, so have the collective body of believers in America. Our Christians today are, are under a lot of strain and a lot of stress. Life is much more difficult than it was when, when I, I was even, when, even when I was younger. Just, just 57 short years ago. Life was so much simpler. Things were so different. And, and life has become very hectic and very demanding. Uh, skyrocketing costs of food, housing, gasoline. These things have necessitated that many families, if not all families, become two-income families just, just to pull together enough money to make ends meet. Um, the five-day work week has been expanded to six, and in some cases, even seven days a week. The eight-hour workday requires a, a minimum of, in this area especially, of a 12-hour commitment when you include, when you include commuting and, and everything else that's involved. Parents leave. In many cases, before their children awaken in the morning and they arrive back in some cases after their children retire for the evening. Life has become very difficult. And a large part of it is because we've become caught up in the materialism of this world. The Madison Avenue admin have convinced us that we need all the things that they tell us that we need. 
we are convinced that we desperately need bigger houses. Uh, someone showed me a photograph the other day of, of a small little house in Kentucky, as a matter of fact, Pastor. And they asked me, can anyone possibly live in that home? I mean, it looked like, it looked like a gardening shed. It was so small. Uh, now, I don't know how many people lived in that house, but I can tell you this. If more than one person lived in it, there was a crowding problem. Uh, but we're convinced. We're convinced that we need a bigger house. We're convinced that we need um, the most luxurious automobiles on the market. Uh, I could be mistaken, but I've, I've, I think, my wife can correct me, I think since 1986, we've owned four automobiles. And trust me, we only financed one of them. The others were, I, I, used, I used to tell people, look, my electric bill is more than my car. Uh, I mean, I didn't drive the fanciest automobiles around, but people are convinced today that, oh, my car is almost two years old. I got to go trade it in and get a new one. Huh? We're convinced of that because that's the normal. We're convinced today that we have to take the most exclusive vacations that, that are possible. You know, when I was a boy, people didn't even take vacations. Only the extremely wealthy took vacations. When, when I was, I remember a boy in Little League, uh, our vacation was uh, a couple of nights down at, at Grand Isle, which was like an hour away. It was a, a strip of beach, and usually you could hardly swim because the waves, there was always hurricanes down there. And, and, but we'd go, that was our vacation. But now people travel around the world and across the country, and, and I've taken those kind of vacations myself, and but we're convinced. We're convinced that our life is just not worth living if we can't take that big vacation every year. Uh, we're convinced that we need to have large bank accounts. Now, my mom and dad always put some money aside, but they never had a large bank account. Um, my dad might have had enough money if, if an emergency would have come up to have been able to take care of it. But, of course, in, in my days when I was young, an emergency would cost you 50 bucks. Now a phone call to call an ambulance costs you more than 50 bucks. And we're convinced that we need all these things. We're just, we just can't be content. We just can't be happy without all these things. And even the elect of the Lord, in far too many cases today, equate happiness to material possessions or to personal gratifications. And it seems that the more we obtain the more we want, the more we desire. Solomon spoke of that in Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 20 where he states, hell and destruction are never full. So the eyes of man are never satisfied. I, I, I've heard people so many times say, you know, if I could just get, if we could just get in, in that new house or if we, if we could just get a new car, if I could just get a new job, then life would be so much simpler and so much easier. But would it be? No, really wouldn't be. Problems just escalate. The things of this world will never bring true happiness. They will never satisfy the heart of the believer. We must know that God will give us what God wants us to have. Then we can find contentment. 
then we can find satisfaction. Then we can find happiness. When we come to the realization that God will give me what he wants me to have, and I can learn to be content with that, then I'll find true happiness. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, we read, let your conversation or your, your life, manner of life be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And, and I think the emphasis of this verse is you, need to, you, need, you should be content with what you've got because what you have is Jesus Christ. And what can bring more satisfaction or contentment than the Lord himself? And John Gill, in his commentary notes, he expounds upon this thought by saying this, with being content with present things, with present riches, or with present poverty, with present losses and crosses, with present reproaches, and afflictions, and contentment with these things shows itself by thankfulness for every mercy and by submission to the will and providence of God in every state of life. And that pretty much sums up the truth that we should always be content because we have the Lord Jesus Christ and he will never leave us nor forsake us. Now, in the passage of Scripture we read tonight, we see that Jesus is admonishing those that have come to hear him. He is admonishing them to avoid the snare of the devil and the snare of this world. He's, he's admonishing them to avoid the sin, if you will, the sin of doubting and tempting God. Three times in the passage we read, the Lord stated, take no thought. In other words, he says, don't even think about it. Don't concern yourself with it. Don't give any attention of detail to it. In verse 25, he said, take no thought for your life. This present life that we live is a temporal life. It's temporary. Now, there are some things that, in this life that I love. I, I love my wife. Uh, I love my wife since the day that her and I met and, and our, our years together, uh, coming up on 34 years of marriage, have been just so wonderful. I, I still often wonder why she married someone like me. I love my wife and I love the life we have together and I don't want, I don't want to depart that life. I love my children. They may not always think I do, but I do. Everything that I've done in, these, in all these years have been for their benefit and for their welfare, their welfare. I love my children. I love my church. I've been in Berean Baptist Church now over 24 years. I love Berean Baptist Church. I could never, I could never picture myself in any other church. I hope to die in this church. Well, not in the church. I... I hope I don't drop dead right in front of you, but 
I hope to dry, die in this church and leave a legacy to our young people that you can live for God, you must live for God, and you will live for God. And, and, and I love my church, but you know, I love the Lord so much more. And I desire to be with him. The older I get, the more I desire to be in his presence. Now, and also, I can't leave this out. I love my grandchildren. When I, when I think about the thought of not seeing my grandsons, you know how blessed I am. I see my grandsons every day. And when I think about not being able to see them every day, uh, I just get sad in my heart. But Jesus said, take no thought for your life. And, and, and we need to do that. And in verse 31, he said, take, therefore take no thought, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or Wherewithal shall we be clothed? Uh, Jesus said, don't worry about the, the things of life, the, the day-to-day details in life. Don't worry about those things. Uh, and, and, in, and then in verse 34, he says, take therefore no thought for the morrow. He said, don't even worry about tomorrow. You got enough, listen, he said, you got enough evil to deal with today to be worrying about Tomorrow. Let's get through today, and then we'll worry about tomorrow. Life, food, clothing, the future, these are the focus of most, if not all men. And certainly we do need these things. However, God has promised to provide us with them. So to distress or to concern ourselves with them is to express doubt in the Lord. It is to question his ability and his integrity to keep his promise to us. It is to tempt his anger and his wrath. Therefore, we are warned not to be like the unbelievers, not to worry and fret over all these things. Now, I do believe that, and I I know that the Lord tells us that we should be we should be good stewards of what he's given us, and we should be diligent to look to the things of, that we have to t- tend to in our lives, most certainly. I don't think we ought to live like foolish people. But we are to be people of today. We are to live in the moment. And we are to understand and realize that we are to live our lives uh, circumspectly, knowing that God will take care of us, and, and organize and plan our life to live within the means that God has given us. And not to, not to take, uh, not to take um, advantage of or not to assume upon God. I've known Christians over the years who've gone out and spent a bunch of money. And, and, and when I tell them, I say, man, you know, That's a little bit above your means, isn't it? Well, God promised to take care of me. Yeah, but he didn't promise to take care of you like a fool. He promised to give you what you needed. And it's your, you need to be a good steward with what he's given you and live within the means that he's given you to live within. So we need to understand that, that, but we're not, we don't need to fret and worry about all these things. This, this assumes upon God's grace and, and, and his goodness to us. And we're not to be, we're not to do that, but we're not to be like the unbelievers. Now, everyone here tonight is living within time. 
Everyone here in this room right now. Some tonight are living in the past. Living, living in past accomplishments and, and are you, you're, you're, you're being controlled by past failures or, or you're, 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 you've succumbed to past problems. Yet Paul admonishes us to forget about the past, doesn't he? In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13, he said, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Paul didn't, Paul didn't, after he got saved, he didn't sit there and moan and complain about, you know, I used to, I used to persecute the church. I used to, I used to do all these things. I was a Pharisee. I was all this. He didn't do that. He, Paul understood and realized what's done is done and he cannot change it. The past is the past. Okay. You made a mistake in the past. Well, then forget about it. You, you, can't go, you can't go back and undo what you've done. If, if you've made a mistake in your Christian life in the past, if you've made a mistake in any aspect of your life, you can't go back and change that. Learn the lessons. Glean the lessons from your mistakes. Don't repeat them. But don't dwell and live in the past. What has happened in the past has been already forgiven and forgotten by the Lord. He remembers them no more, so let us remember them no more. But tonight, others are living in the future. The future consumes their lives. What's going to happen tomorrow? What will be? What might be? What can be? And Solomon warns us not to be so foolish as to think that we can assure our future. In Proverbs 27 and verse 1, he states, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. James echoes this truth. James, in James chapter 4 and verses 13 through 15, writes, Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Not, you know, I used to be one of those people who always talked about what I was going to do. But one day I, I saw this verse and I, it, it struck me. And if you come up to me and say, Brother Dalton, I'll see you tomorrow, I'll always say, Lord willing, you will. Because, folks, we don't know if we have a tomorrow. God hasn't promised us a tomorrow. He's only promised us now. He's only given us now. And now, today is the day of salvation. People foolishly say, well, you know, I still have time. I'm young. I have time to get saved. Really? Take a walk through a cemetery sometime and see how many tombs there are of young people. People say, well, I know, Christians say, I know I need to change my perspectives. I know I need to change some things in my life, but, you know, I'll I'll get around to it. Will you? Tomorrow seems to never come, doesn't it? Because tomorrow will also have a tomorrow. There's only today. So 
My goal tonight, then, is to help each of us see that we must live in the moment. We must, we must simplify our lives and live in today and live for and in Christ Jesus our Lord. But how can we accomplish this? How can we overcome our natural tendencies to fret and worry and, and, and crave things and all these things that afflict our human nature? How can we overcome these? Well, I believe there are three things that we can strive to do which will help us accomplish this, this task tonight. So let me share those with you. I'll try to be brief and we'll be done. Number one, embrace the right perspectives. I've learned over the last 33 years as a believer, this, this is a difficult task. You've got to keep your perspectives straight. You've got to keep life in perspective. In, in verses 31 and 32 of Matthew 6, we read, Take therefore no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. We need to understand that we are here to fulfill God's purposes, not our own. We need to have the right perspective of why we are here. And knowing and understanding that we are here to glorify God in all that we do, we need to trust that God will provide us all that we need so we can keep our focus and attention on those things. Think of a soldier for a moment. The military feeds their soldiers. They clothe their soldiers. They, they house their soldiers. They give their soldiers everything they need. Why? So that they can keep their attention on their job. Especially, this is especially true when a soldier is in battle. A soldier doesn't at 5 o'clock say, hey, Sarge, where's the time clock? I need to punch out. I got to go home and I got I to cook dinner and I got to put the kids to bed. And I gotta... No, a soldier doesn't do that. The, the army makes sure he's got a place to, to bivouac. They make sure he's got meals to eat. They make sure he's got dry clothing and clean clothing to wear. They make sure he's got good weaponry and he's got lots of ammunition. He's got all the things he needs so he can, he can have the right perspective of what he's doing. So he can stay focused. It's all a matter of philosophies. It's a matter of right thinking. And to do this, to change the way we think, will mean a total change or transformation in our lives. Because when we get saved, we don't have this perspective. We don't have the perspective that my life is the Lord's and that I'm going to live the rest of my life focused on Jesus Christ. Most of the time, nowadays, in our watered-down Christian philosophies of today, people get saved, and it's just like changing clothes. Amen? And you know I'm telling you the truth. Far too often, people get saved, and it's just a change of clothing. It's just a change of, of, of outerwear. But nothing inside changes. 
because we, we don't have the right perspective. When I got saved, and, I, and I don't, I'm, no, I'm no great example, but when I got saved, I knew at that moment my life had to change. My focus had to change. My emphasis had to change because I now belonged to Jesus Christ. And my allegiance and my loyalty belong to him. We have to have a change. And in Romans chapter 12, Paul says, I beseech you. Listen, listen, to, the, listen to the admonition of Paul in these, in these words. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Why are you here tonight? You're not here to, you're not here to further your career. You're not here tonight to amass material possessions. You're here tonight to serve, honor, worship, and glorify God. And to live your life according to his will and his purpose. That's why we're here. Now the corruption of this world and the greed of the heart of man have made it that, that many of us are forced to, to have to work jobs and, and spend large amounts of time uh, with our mind focused on, on those kind of things. But our heart must, be, must remain driven by the perspective of our life that we are the children of God and it is our purpose in life to fulfill his will and his purpose. Do you realize that this behavior that permeates our country today is predominantly American? I've said this before in preaching. Children, children in Kenya tonight are not dreaming about a new bike They're not going to bed hoping that they get that new Xbox 360. They're not going to bed tonight with a smile on their face thinking about a new skateboard or a mini bike or or a laptop or or, or an iPad. No. Their parents are not planning their next vacations. Their parents are are not trying to get that promotion at work so they can so they can move into a bigger house and buy a bigger car and have more authority and have more power. No, no, they're going to bed tonight. And they're hoping to find enough food to survive for one more day. They're going to bed hoping not to be eaten alive by some wild beast. They're going to bed hoping that when they wake up in the morning, their mom and dad is still alive, if they even have one now. See, we Americans are a sorry sort. We're fat and sassy. We, we talk about how much compassion we have, but we fail to show it. We failed in so many ways. And I'm not pointing fingers personally tonight. You understand what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm saying that as a nation, we, we are, are just selfish people. And God doesn't want us to be that way. 
Jesus, when teaching his disciples to pray, taught them to ask for their daily bread. He didn't say, pray for your monthly bread. He didn't say, pay for your retirement bread. You know, Social Security and, and, and all those things, they're, they're socialistic philosophies. I don't think my great-grandpa thought about retirement. He just hoped he had enough strength to live his life and take care of his family to the day he died. Jesus taught us to live in the moment. He taught us to be satisfied with the things that God has given us. He, he taught us that God knows what we need and that he will provide those things. He fed his children with manna in the wilderness. Their, their shoes and their clothes did not waste away for 40 years. He gave them shade by day and warmth at night. But oh, how quickly we forget these things. Turn with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Let's all turn together. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Fourth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy. Or, I'm sorry, fifth book of the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 8. And let's, let's look beginning at verse number 11. Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning at verse 11. We read here, Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God, in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwell therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led thee uh, through that great and terrible wilderness, wherein uh, were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, when there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of, of flint, who led thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, uh, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee, to do thee good at thy latter end. And thou shalt say in thine heart, My power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish its covenant, which he sware unto thy fathers, as it is this day. Oh, how quickly we forget. How quickly we lose perspective in our lives that it is God that gives us all things. It is God that prospers us. It is God that blesses us. It is God that provides for us. And we need to keep this perspective. We need to have the perspective. We need to keep our focus tonight on that which is first and foremost, and that is God the Father Christ the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we're to live our lives in submission to the will of God. So first tonight, I admonish everyone here to embrace the right perspectives. But then secondly, if we will, if we will uh, as Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and, and not worry and fret over things. Secondly, we need to adopt the right priorities. Adopt the right 
priorities. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, we see, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, any of you here tonight who are involved in management understand the importance of priorities. The only way to get anything done is to establish and maintain the right priorities. And the same is true with trusting and learning to trust in God. We must have the right priorities. Now, it is my experience after 33 years of ministry that the vast majority of people live their lives with the wrong priorities, unfortunately. Especially the, the unsaved world lives, the majority of people live outside of the right priorities, but even many Christians do. Now, I'm not going to waste time talking about the wrong priorities tonight. Instead, I'll focus on the right priority. And the right priority, Jesus admonished us, is to seek first the kingdom of God. This places the things of Christ above our personal material needs and possessions. And this was the testimony of Job, by the way. In Job chapter 23, verses 11 and 12, Job states, My foot hath held his steps. His way, his way have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Job, Job had the right perspective. He knew that God was first, last, and only in his life. Yet today, many Christians will place their personal happiness and their personal fulfillment above the things of God. Church attendance, tithing, obedience, these things have become a matter of convenience rather than a conviction. Marriage, family, fidelity, today these have been replaced by divorce, desertion, and immorality, things that are a disgrace to the Lord. Honesty, integrity, dependability have given way to lies, laziness, and selfishness. And all of this causes some to doubt and mistrust the Lord. They do not exhibit faith in God because their priorities are misplaced. Joseph lived for God. Joseph had God first in his life under the most discouraging of conditions. Joseph was accosted by his brother. He was, he was in, in, imprisoned in, in a, a hole in the ground. He was sold into slavery. He lived all those years in Egypt. Uh, in Potiphar's house, he was lied to. He was lied about and cast into prison. In the prison, he was forgotten and left there. Joseph never, never, ever got his priorities mixed up. Moses chose God over the throne of Egypt, as I mentioned in Sunday school class this morning. Moses could have been the the Pharaoh, he could have been the king of Egypt. He, he could have been the most powerful man in the world. But he chose to suffer affliction with the children of God because he put God first in his life. Moses had the right priority. Joshua and Caleb, when spying the new land, they saw the same thing the other spies saw. But their priorities were right. 
They didn't think about, they didn't worry about their safety. They didn't worry about their provisions. They didn't worry about anything. They looked with eyes of faith and trusted in God. They had their priorities right. Paul, Paul finished his course. He kept the faith. Why did he do that? Because his priorities were right. When Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, what did he say? What will thou have me to do? Paul's priorities immediately focused on Jesus and what the Lord wanted him to do. He had the right priorities. Christ admonished us to take no thought. And if we are going to accomplish the task of of having trust and faith in God, we're going to have to have the right priorities. And the right priority, you don't need a list. Someone said, give me a list of the right priorities. It's only one thing on the list. God first. God is your priority in all things in life. When you, when you consider who you're going to marry, when, when, you, when you consider how you're going to spend your money, when you consider what job you're going to take, when you consider where you're going to live, when you consider what church you're going to attend, God is first in all these things, the right priority. But then thirdly and lastly, if we're going to be able to do these things, we need to fulfill the right purpose. We need to embrace the right perspectives. We need to adopt the right priorities. And we need to fulfill the right purpose. Back to Matthew 6, verse 24, Jesus said, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now lastly tonight, if we will have the faith to trust in the Lord, we will, we will have to live our life in fulfillment of God's purpose for us. So what is God's purpose for me and you? Well, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, Solomon writes this. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Now, I realize that we as humans want to believe that we are so vital to God. We want to believe that God just could not be happy without me. But Solomon, the man endued with wisdom from God, shoots us down and brings us down to earth. Listen, folks, God does not have some earth-shattering purpose for us. It all comes down to this. Fear God and obey him. That is our purpose. That is our duty, to to glorify and honor the Lord, to worship and praise his name. That's our, our purpose. That's our duty. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to demean the work that we do in the local church. I'm not trying to say that uh, we, we shouldn't go out soul winning and that, and that we, we shouldn't uh, uh, preach messages and shouldn't conduct Sunday school class and shouldn't send forth missionaries and all the other things we do. These are all important things. These are all works of the church. But they all serve one purpose. Do you understand? Do you realize that? Everything we do can all be brought down to one purpose. And that's what Solomon is saying. Fear God. Keep his commandments. Fear God. 
Obey Him. Honor God. Fear Him. Worship Him. This is all, all that we do comes to this, it's, it's a cone. It all comes down to this one point. Our purpose is to glorify the Father by our lives. And all these other things that we do are to that end, to that, to that purpose. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. And, and that calling that we have is important. And, and it is in the will of the Lord. However, we must understand that everything we do is to bring glory and honor to the name of the Lord, not to draw attention to ourselves, not to gain pleasure for ourselves, not to gain personal gratification. All these things that we do is to glorify and honor the Father. Now, when a man gets this right, when a man develops the right purpose in life, and when he learns to fulfill his purpose, he does not need a pat on the back. He's content just to serve. He does not need a title because he desires to exalt the name of Christ. He is content to offer his life a sacrifice unto God. It is impossible tonight for us to serve the Lord and live for ourselves. God demands all of us. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, we read, And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God and to walk in all his ways and to love him and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. Did you see that? What doth the Lord thy God require of thee? He requires us to fulfill his purposes. To glorify and honor him, to worship him, to love him, to serve him. This is, what, this is our purpose. This is our duty. This is why we are here. Jesus said, take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Tonight I want to challenge you to live in the moment. Don't live in the past. Don't worry about the future. Don't, call God, don't, don't fret and worry because that calls God a liar. It, it accuses him of, of not being honest, not keeping his promises. Stop making excuses. And get busy serving the Lord. Get the right perspective. Life is not about houses and cars and things. It is about the Lord our God. Seek the right priorities. God first, everything else second. Live with the right purpose. Fear the Lord. Obey his commandments. Love him with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. Let us pray tonight. Father, thank you so much for your word. And, and Lord, I do wish that you, someone with more, more wisdom, more, more eloquence could, could, could express the, the thoughts that I have in my heart, the things that I've, I've learned over the years in serving you. But Father, it is so important that we learn these things, that we 
live our lives with the right perspective, Father, that, that we have the right priorities and, and that we, we strive every moment of every day to fulfill your purposes in our life. Then, Lord, then we find happiness. Then we'll find contentment. Then we'll find joy. And then we'll trust you. And then we won't worry and we won't fret because we know that you are righteous and holy and that you have promised us all these things and you'll never forsake us. You'll never leave us. And we'll serve you with every ounce of strength we have until the day you call us home. And then we'll be forever in your presence and we'll we'll enjoy your glory throughout time and eternity. So I pray you open our hearts tonight, open our minds to this truth. Help us to... Help us, Lord, daily to, to, to examine our hearts and our lives and, and, and to ensure that we're doing all the things that you expect us to do. May you be first in all of our lives. And we'll give you the thanks and we'll, we'll give you the glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.